Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Backmarkers F1 Show podcast. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for today's episode. This is number 105 of our podcast. We're going to be recapping the 2021 Spanish Grand Prix today. Before we get started, of course, as your usual reminder that our podcast is sponsored by the GP Box, the world's leading motorsport marketplace area where you can buy some awesome F1 merchandise, memorabilia, Use car parts and anything else for the motorhead person in your life. So check the video description down below and you'll find some exclusive discount codes from the GP box. So for today's episode, alongside me tonight is uh, my two co-hosts, my fellow backmarkers, Tyler McDonald and Shaker Barty. Tyler, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing good. Yourself, Chris? Doing well, doing well. Still a little bit uh, buzzing after, uh, of course, the first doubleheader of the weekend. So I know we got... A lot to talk about as well. Shaker, how about you? What's going on with you? I feel great. And like you said, I'm buzzing from uh, the double weekend. You know, just excited for the next race now. Yeah, that's exactly it, right? We're really kind of getting into the business end of the season now. It was pretty slow of a start, actually. But now we're, we're really picking up. And of course, we're, we're going to Monaco next, which is very, very exciting. Pretty much kind of the, the Super Bowl of the Formula One calendar. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But Let's dive right into it then. It's a it's a Spanish Grand Prix that we had kind of cautious expectations for because we obviously know the history of the Spanish Grand Prix circuit and that it tends to provide some boring racing. And this probably won't go down as a classic, but at the end of the day, it was a fairly decent race. And definitely the championship battle between Hamilton and Verstappen really spiced things up for us. So Tyler, let's just start with you. Just general race thoughts to begin with. What did you think overall of the 2021 Spanish Grand Prix? Did it live up to your expectations? What do you think? I think it was a pretty good Grand Prix, considering that it was a, a Spanish Grand Prix. If you put it in for you know where it lists on normal Grand Prix weekends, I'd say it was an average race. Uh, but that's a good race for uh, for the, uh, the Barcelona circuit. So I, know I thought the Mercedes strategy really made the last half of the race uh, interesting to see how Hamilton would catch up and how fast he would catch up and whether or not the overtake on Verstappen was going to be easy or if it was going to be a little tricky. Um, of course, we know the answer to that now, but uh, I think that's what helped the, the race really bring it up a little bit more than uh, what could have been uh, if there wasn't that strategy kind of called by Mercedes. Yeah, I like you said, I think Tyler said about it, for a Spanish Grand Prix, it was quite, uh, quite eventful. Um, uh, you know, overtakes, uh, you know, you don't expect that at the Spanish Grand Prix that much. You, you know, we've heard in the last few years, the pole sitters always won. So, I mean, overall, it was an eventful Spanish Grand Prix, uh, probably the best we've seen in the last few years in terms of providing, you know, an actual race rather than just watching the pole sitter just, you know, stay in the first, stay, stay in first place the entire time. So, yeah, I think, like, like you said, the strategy calls were really interesting. Uh, you know, some people did it better than others. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was a great race overall for Spain. And strategy will be an interesting talking point that I'm curious to know what you guys have to think. But let's start with really at the beginning of the race in lap one. And like you mentioned, pole position was so important. But Max Verstappen kind of broke those odds right away in turn one after he got by Lewis Hamilton. And we're just going to quickly look at the overtake here because... You know, I think as as much as uh, we see in the battles between Hamilton and Verstappen, there's always going to be some sort of, I don't know if controversy is the right word, but both both sides of, of the Verstappen and Hamilton teams obviously always have their thoughts on, on the incidents between the two. But this was a crucial, crucial start for Max Verstappen, which eventually it didn't really do much for him at the end of the day. But it was an excellent, excellent overtake going into turn one. And I just thought that... As great of a move as it was for Max Verstappen as well, it was brilliant driving from Lewis Hamilton too to back out a little bit and not make it a bigger incident than it was. I think that's a key point you talk about, uh, Chris, is that right here when you see Max cut in, Lewis just steps off the gas a little bit, turns away to his right, to, or sorry, to his left to kind of stay away from Max to avoid front wing contact and really hamper the the long-term impacts of his race and he knows you know we've seen it so many times before the wild the wise old head on lewis hamilton to uh, avoid incidents and know that at the end he's fighting for a championship not you know the win of that race on the first corner so you could really see this maturity out of hamilton uh, and it was a beautiful move by max i thought as well a fair racing move he got his elbows out and i don't have any issues in my opinion i thought it was a uh, good hard racing between two very talented drivers. 
Yeah, it absolutely was. And one thing I like too about Max there is that he didn't really break that much later. It was just that he broke a little bit earlier. Maybe he was just kind of feathering the, feathering the uh, brake pedal a little bit. But I think that that move was 100% fine. I know some people were saying that if Hamilton hadn't pulled out, it would have been a crash and Verstappen would have been at fault. That That's one of those 50-50 race, race opening lap incidents right there. So I don't think that there was any fault with that. And at this point, we've come to expect this from Verstappen, right? If he sniffs just this little bit of an opening, he's going to send it down the inside. And it's, again, as you mentioned, Shaker, pole position being so important around this track, he had to do it. And yeah. it didn't work out in the end, but at the very least, it started off his race in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, with, with Max kind of doing it, uh, the, you know, the first few weeks, uh, starting from starting from second and being giving Lewis Hamilton that push right in the first lap from the very beginning... I think kind of provided Lewis with the pressure the last few weeks and he kind of knew he, he knew it was coming. He saw Max at the corner of his eye. He's like, all right, you know, it's a full send down that first turn for Max and I just got to watch it. And I think even in that clip, you see him almost go for the full turn around that first corner and there's his last second. It kind of looks like he pulls out just, but so I think, I think it was, a, I think it was brilliant from both. I think it was great defending. I mean, uh, <clears throat> great, uh, Great uh, view from Lewis Hamilton. First of all, see it coming, and then uh, same with Max. You know, he pounced right away, right off, uh, uh, you know, right off the right off the start. I wonder if he started in second again. Um, so that'd be kind of interesting to see if that's because that's been their toughest things the last few years is the start, and maybe that second gear is what's kind of doing it for him to get get right off the start and not provide too much uh, pressure into those uh, those tires. I think it was the other thing, too, is that there was more grip on the inside than there was on the left-hand side where Hamilton was mm. starting. I think that's the some of the comments Lewis made actually on the formation lap heading out to the race. But anyways, it, it was definitely a, a very good start. And, of course, didn't it didn't work out in the end, which is what's going to segue into our next point, which was the eventual strategic game that played out throughout the whole race, which eventually kind of decided this race. There was obviously a few more things that decided. But the main thing was was obviously strategy. So... Tyler, I want to, I'm curious to know your thoughts about the Red Bull strategy. And first of all, do you think that that's really what lost them the race here in Spain, much like it did in some of the previous other races? And if you were in that situation, what might have you have done differently? You know, I was thinking about that during the actual race, like when the whole strategy was coming up, you know, unraveled and Lewis pit. And I was like, okay, is Max going to pit here? And it was like, well, I don't know if he's going to be safe to Hamilton. If he's not safe to Hamilton, and he's going to come up behind Hamilton. I don't think he can pass him again. And that was the main thing going through my head on that lap. And then when Verstappen decided, Red Bull decided to keep Verstappen out, it was like, okay, now they have to stay out. They don't have a chance to to rebound and and to answer back because I think that Hamilton already covered that gap within uh, the first lap on those new tires. So um, very, it's very, very tricky. And like Christian Horner said, or was it Christian or was it uh, Max Engineer? I forget which one but said that it was hungry 2019 all over again, you know, we're going to have the the same, the same battle. So, um, and we saw that's exactly what happened. Lewis came up and, you know, with five or six laps left past, uh, past max fairly easily. Um, so it's, it's very, it's a catch 22 for Red Bull. I mean, if you pit and max comes out behind Lewis, then well, you've already, you're, you're going to lose the race that, you know, pretty much automatically because max isn't going to, past Lewis or it's going to be very hard to do so where if you stay out, he's like, Oh, maybe he gets held up in traffic. He almost got held up by his teammates. You know, it, it was, um, it was just a different strategy. It's something to look at to, for, for Max being, you know, 25, six seconds ahead of Lewis at that point. Um, I think it was a terrible call. I, I genuinely think the fact that within five seconds there Christian Horner comes on and saying it's hungry 2019 again, make your call. You ended up taking Max out in the last three laps anyways to get him fastest lap. You already you, you were already losing. Why not, you know, if you know it's hungry 2019 again and you didn't make the call in hungry, why not try something that could be different? In the end, what's gonna happen? Max is still gonna get second place. I, I just I, I, I think if you know it's a good strategy call for Mercedes, you should be trying to counteract counter that strategy with your best strategy call, not leaving Max out to do the rest of the work. Um, I that's my opinion on the matter. The thing is that with Hungary, it's a little bit easier to overtake in Hungary. 
or in Spain, again, you're also thinking, okay, that's not a big, it's not a big overtaking circuit. And he did have a 26 second lead with 20 was 22 laps left. So, I mean, yeah, he's going to be faster, but you know, if you're, if you're Red Bull, you're thinking as well, like, like maybe he won't catch us. And if he's not safe to, like, like I said, if you're not safe and you're going to pit Max in, he's going to come out behind Lewis, no matter what, maybe there's just, you know, that's why they stayed up because, you know, they know they're going to be second if they pit right now. So let's just try staying in track position and staying as, you know, out in first as long as we can and try and sneak out a win. Yeah. But why would you not want to provide that extra pressure to Lewis Hamilton? You basically gave Lewis Hamilton about 25 laps to free roam and catch up to you, where you could have had the opportunity to provide the pressure to Lewis Hamilton not to do that. It would have been. I don't think if he would have, like, if they would have pit right the, the lap after that Lewis went by, or sorry, that Lewis pit, I think that Lewis would have passed him. I don't think they were safe in terms of the actual pit. Yeah, like, I don't Lewis, think Max. Lewis, no, I'm not saying that Max would have come out ahead. Lewis would have definitely come out ahead even if they pitted afterwards. But rather than giving Lewis Hamilton 25 laps to get to first place, you would have given Lewis Hamilton 25 laps to stay in first place, provided with Max Verstappen giving you pressure behind. It wouldn't I don't have think been, Max would have passed him. I don't think that he would have passed him if... No, but I think it would have provided more pressure to Lewis Hamilton, and I think he would have made more mistakes, and I think that would have been more of an ample opportunity to Max to get, that, to, to get the step ahead. Yeah, I mean, that's, I can see it that way too. Yeah, that's like I said, that's my personal opinion on the matter. It's if you, if you already know your strategy call didn't work two years ago, and you have the data to say that your medium tires are not going to outlast the full twenty-five remaining laps, and you're going to have to pit anyways, why not pit early and try to make the times up? You know? Yeah, well, I can see that. I, I can see what you mean. Yeah. I, in my opinion, I just think that. I think that they were their hand was forced into staying out because they didn't believe that Max could pass Lewis on track. Yeah, I, and here's another thing: they, I know Sergio wasn't able to provide, you know, hold up mm. Lewis Hamilton as best as he could. But imagine having Sergio Perez and 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 Max Max Verstappen behind you when you're trying to overtake. You're trying to pass that Red Bull in front as well as try to keep the pressure behind from that uh, from the other Red Bull. I think it would have change the race a little bit i may the outcome might have been the same i think the outcome outcome more than likely would have been the same as what we saw in the end but i think it would have given lewis hamilton a little bit more pressure to work with it would have provided mercedes a different strategy call maybe they would have done something different with valtteri in the end uh, I, these are these are big ifs but i think i think they did they did exactly what they did in hungary and it never worked in hungary so why continue doing it no that's a good point but that's a good point i mean if perez was up there it could have really changed the race. And I mean, we, it could be the same too with Bottas. I mean, he kind of got, you know, hampered on lap one and stuck behind Charles and was that his race was over at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you know, it could have been even a, a more unfair advantage for Max if Bottas was up there too, or would Bottas have hampered Lewis maybe and, and fought Lewis more and that could have let Max win. Yeah. It, it's a very interesting what could have happened, but yeah, yeah, it, I mean, who knows? I, it, yeah, it, we it, could we could talk about what could have happened in any race. You know, yeah, what true, if it yeah, rained? Yeah. <laughs> How interesting would that race have been? But yeah. I think with given the information that they were giving, I give it uh, or they had, I think they should have made. I think they should have brought Max in, and I think the res- like I said, the results might have been exactly the same. But I think it would have provided more data to them to see what they can work with, rather than we already have the data. Let's work with what we got. Chris, what are your thoughts? What are you, how did you like this strategy call? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think you guys bring up both fair points. And if people didn't see my uh, sort of analysis video that I put out, uh, I guess, today after the race, and I spent through some time going back into the race and looking over the data. And so maybe, uh, Tyler, Tyler, I'll address your part, uh, points first, because, again, you bring up good points and, and solid ones as well that it's hard to argue against because that's a big question, right, is that even if they would have stopped, would he have been able to overtake him? That's a big question, right? And the answer probably is no, just because of the pace of the Red Bull, and we're not exactly sure. But I will say that if they... So Hamilton came in lap 42. If Verstappen would have came in lap, let's say, 43 or 44, which, you know, an extra lap or two later, he probably would have been told to push, maybe would have been able to pull out a 23, 23.5 second gap. And the, you know, the rundown into turn one would have been super close between Hamilton and then Verstappen coming out of the pits. Most likely he would have lost track position, right? And then, of course, you had Bottas who would have stayed out as well. 
So that's another obstacle. But Valtteri was on a used set of mediums that he put on on lap 23. So he was struggling for pace. And then, like you guys mentioned, we saw how easily, for, for the most part, Hamilton was able to dispatch a Bottas. I think Verstappen would have done the same. So there, there's that. To Shaker's point, I would agree with him that if you knew that Hungary 2019 was happening, why not do something different? I just don't understand why they did exactly the same thing. You already know what the outcome was going to be from that race. So why not try something else? I think the onus was on Red Bull to risk it, to go outside of the box and to try something. Most likely would have finished second anyway had he not been able to overtake. And I just think that putting him, putting them on the fresher tires, his stint to finish the race would have roughly equaled his stint that opened the race on that soft tire, albeit the tires that he would put on later in the race would be a brand new set versus the ones he started on was a used set, obviously, from qualifying. So I think that Verstappen being the hunter instead of the hunted would have at least put pressure on Hamilton instead of you know, Lewis, who obviously can just pump out the lap times very, very consistently. And like you mentioned, Tyler off the top, easy overtake, and then just coasted to a victory. So at the end of the day, I think Red Bull should have tried to pull the trigger and at least get on that soft tire. They really didn't have too much to lose. But the problem here is also, and what I pointed out in the video, was it started before the race, actually, because the tire allocation heading into the Grand Prix really screwed Red Bull over and Verstappen in particular because they didn't have they only had one new set of the medium tires whereas Lewis Hamilton had one new set and then one used set as well which he obviously went on for his second stint and I don't know why but Red Bull burned that set of mediums in FP3 and if you guys remember to qualifying the Mercedes went out on in Q1 on the medium tire and everybody at the time was like what are they doing why are they doing that you know usually you see that for Q2 obviously we have the answer of why they did it. So Mercedes just completely outclassed Red Bull in the strategy department. And they were thinking 10, 10 days ahead, 10 steps ahead. And whatever happened, whether he was leading after turn one or not, they had everything covered. So at the end of the day, it, Red Bull really screwed this up, I think. I think in the end, the Grand Prix really went to the, the team that was most prepared for the entire weekend rather than the actual race itself. Right. Um, yeah, I, it was just preparation. It was they they knew exactly what was going to happen. Uh, they brought Lewis in at, at the right time every time. Um, I think they could have maybe gotten a little bit more out of Valtteri by calling him a little bit earlier, him a little bit earlier. But I I don't know. Maybe that was his call to stay out. But yeah, I, I think the team with the best strategy won the entire weekend, not just the race. No, I gotta agree with that too. And what's um, the the strategist for Mercedes? What's his name again? Oh, uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure. James? No, James is Valtteri's. No, no. Val oh, no, it is James. You're James right, yeah. is the strategy. Mercedes you're right. Strategy oh, for Mercedes. Oh, yeah. Mercedes, yeah. yeah. Sorry, James you're right. It is James. I wasn't. I wasn't sure if it was. I, all Val I could. Just all I heard at the top of my head is Valtteri. It's James. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> That's all too. I, I like, heard in oh, the back of my head. I was like, "Oh, is James's engineer or the strategist?" And I had to keep try to remember. So yeah. thank you um, for <laughs> helping me remember. But I think James. Uh, should have that, that trophy should go to him because uh, I think his he was phenomenal this weekend. I, I think Total said it. I think Lewis said it that you know he was the MVP for this weekend, and it really shows it too. Yeah, how important a strategist is, and I think he's you know he's probably the most you know popular or well known strategist out there, um, and for good reason. And you know I, I wasn't sure if he was up on the podium celebrations, but I mean he should have been. He should have been the guy up there because that trophy should be his. He was phenomenal all weekend like you mentioned chris thinking 10 days in advance um with their strategy calls it was just really remarkable and outclassed the whole field i mean mercedes have been at class since all of last week since they let they let roman get in the car that's true yeah it's it's i i have so much respect for them for letting roman do that so yeah yeah, I had that yeah. written down, so I guess we can wrap up the show with that, actually, because it's not... I figured that was the end of our Mercedes yeah. little thing, you know? <laughs> it is. I just wanted to add another point to that, that I found a little bit disappointing on Red Bull's behalf, and I think Christian Horner said this. I know Max kind of said it as well, but I think that he said it because it was the the public, you know, public relations friendly thing to say, which was that there really wasn't much else that they could have done, right? And I think that to a driver like Verstappen, he doesn't want to hear something like that because I think that there's always something that you can do. And mm -hmm. Mercedes has been so good at winning races where they don't have the best car. I mean, imagine Mercedes in Bahrain earlier this a couple months ago would have said, sorry, Lewis, I mean, the pace just isn't there. There's not much that we can do. 
but they did. They they had an innovative strategy in Bahrain as well, and they won the race. So yeah. I, I think that Verstappen doesn't want to hear that those kind of excuses that uh, you know we just, uh, we weren't quick enough. I don't think that's good enough at this point. And obviously, yes, I think Mercedes have the faster car and race trim, but you have to be innovative and you have to be able to outwit your rivals and win on a day where you're not the best. No, absolutely. Yeah, no, I would have to agree with that too, Chris. And um, I just want to mention too, with the whole Mercedes strategy and, and Valtteri and how, uh, you know, team orders were there again for Valtteri, but I don't know. I don't know if he seemed to, I don't think he gave that position up easily. I think Lewis <laughs> actually had to do an overtake there, which was nice to see. You know, I'm glad that Valtteri kind of has a little bit of fight toward him now instead of just letting Lewis by. Um, now that would fight would be nice competing for wins and not, you know, trying to you know, salvage third or whatever. But um, I, I'd, I'd like to see uh, if there's any positive take for Valtteri, it's that you had a little bit of a chip on your shoulder and you just didn't let Lewis push you around. You, you made him do an overtake. And it was a nice overtake by Lewis, not the overtake of the weekend that goes to Charles. Um, but um, it, still it, a little positive you could take if you're Valtteri. Yeah, I, I said it last year. I want to see Valtteri with his elbows out, and that's exactly what I'm seeing this year, and I love it. <laughs> Too bad he just doesn't have anything to show for it. <laughs> hey, man, it's it's hard when you're second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but did you also guys find it a little bit odd that Bottas probably put up his best fight to Hamilton when he was in a position that wasn't for a race win? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just more... Maybe it's the turning point. Maybe it's like the... Well, you know what? Screw this. I'm tired of being told what to do. Like, I'm fighting for myself here. And I think he knows that because his Mercedes career might be on the line after this year. Um, Maybe. And he has to go out with a, with a bang. I don't think they can keep George Russell at Williams for much longer. I think George is going to ask out if he does. Yeah, I think you're right. And maybe that's part of it. Some people were suggesting that, that it could be an indication that he's on his way out which it's interesting. It's certainly a topic that maybe we can debate on another day, but I found that funny that obviously we're not a big fan of team orders, but in that situation, team orders made the most sense, right? As we saw with, you know, Perez and and Verstappen earlier in that race, right? So um, before we move up and and wrap up the Red Bull Mercedes talk, show of hands, who fought Hamilton harder, Valtteri Bottas or Nikita Mazepin? Uh, I'm going to go Nikita. <laughs> I think Nikita too. <laughs> Phenomenal. I mean, the guy just doesn't get it. Who was it last week that was yelling about him? Sergio? Uh, that's a long list. It was a long Sergio, list. Sergio, there was... Um, was Max yelling? Max was yelling, and there was also... Um, I think Latifi? Latifi oh, Latifi yeah. was yelling. Yeah, Latifi that's right. Yelling. It was George Russell the week beforehand, I think. Yeah. No. I mean, the guy he didn't get it after lot. Last week he had five blue flags for whoever was in the lead. I can't remember right now, and didn't get out of the way. And Perez. I, mean, I, I didn't. It was Perez, Perez okay. And uh, I didn't see who or how many blue flags he had this weekend for Lewis. But he, I mean, he didn't get out of the way easily. We we saw Total Wolf, which was really cool to see on the broadcast. Total Wolf um, and the FIA's discussion or Total Wolf complaining to the FIA. And Michael Massey to be like, hey, this guy he just doesn't move out of the way. Like, do something about it, pretty much. Um, but yeah, no, I, it was nice to see that on the broadcast. It's just he doesn't get it. I don't that Monaco's gonna be a disaster. <laughs> yeah. Do well, they not give out like racing points or take get points taken away from the thing for getting too many warnings? Like that's only penalties. Really? That's like it, like if you get like so like Vettel got one for um, what was it? His collision, I think, because it was. So like, he can get penalty points for that, but I don't know if he gets if he can get penalty points for ignoring blue flags. I'm not well, sure if that's in the rule book. In four race weekends in a row, you gotta. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, because you People guys learn from their mistakes, and when they don't, you punish them for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you mentioned that team radio, and I have it queued up here. I think most people. Uh, heard it because it was a new addition actually to the broadcast that we've this is I think the first instance of hearing team yeah. radio that goes more. to the FIA yeah yeah I think Crofty was even surprised by it. he's like oh that's nice that we have that <laughs> yeah I, I want to see so much more of that because that's that you know a lot of the stuff that we miss out between the FIA and all this is stuff that's so crucial to find out what actually happened behind the scenes right mm-hmm. yeah so this was total wolf on the on the blower to race director Michael Massey Michael 
blue flags. Michael, this guy makes us lose the position. This guy. This guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when, when Toto says this guy, you're not on his good books. That's like his like full on like this idiot is what he's trying to say yeah. there. It's too bad. I didn't see any replays on the broadcast of the actual incident. I think he um, was really tired of showing Nikita Mazepin. Maybe, maybe they didn't want to give him the uh, the sponsorship time. <laughs> the other thing that annoyed me about him is that people are voting for him for driver of the day. He was in top five for Trolls. driver of the day. <laughs> yeah, it's like, just memes. what? That's bro. Memes. Like no. <laughs> That's, That's not it. Just meme. That's just torturing. Those votes should be going to people who deserve it. Like not not for memes. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem with what you you know, you, you leave it open to everybody, right? So Yeah, it's oh, so it's memes. That's it's all it's going to be. It's I mean, at that point people are doing it because You know what? Want and you know what? I bet you one race this year, like a race he doesn't finish last, he's going to get driver of the day. I bet you. <laughs> Probably. You know what was a great F1 meme? Yeah. That oh, yeah, one was good. good. This one is not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But uh, I think I just read something actually before we came on the air with Mazepin said that he's gonna need to. He's, it's gonna take him a couple races to learn and get used to the blue flags. I feel like blue flags are pretty cut and dry. You know, That's like when, when I went oh. karting for the first time a couple months ago, and I was getting blue flagged all the time because I was so slow. It was pretty simple to understand. Get the fuck out of the way of the leaders. So <laughs> I don't know what, yeah. what he needs to learn. I mean, Mick Schumacher seems pretty good at it, and he's done the same amount of races. So yep. um, I don't know. Monaco is going to be a disaster. This is going to be. It's going to be I, its own race. I'm in itself. telling like, you, he's not making the race in Monaco. I, I this is this was my call at the beginning um, of the year. <laughs> I do want to give a shout out to uh, to friend of the show, Mitch Brule. Um, because he did uh, place a wager uh, before the race on the first retirement, and Nikita Mazepin was the odds-on favorite, so he did place a $2 bet on Nikita Mazepin retiring the race, uh, or trying first from the race. Too bad he didn't cash out on that, but I thought it was a pretty good a pretty good bet. <laughs> Might be a good bet for Monaco. Yeah, I think so. No, the good bet is he's not making the race. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, though, is the car is so slow that I don't think that I don't know. I don't know. You can't see for FP1. I have so I have notifications on for Chris Medlin again, another friend of the show. Uh, I have notifications on, and I was at work, and a notification came on for FP1, and it was went along the lines of um, uh, FP1 is uh, green, and two minutes in, Nikita Mazepin has spun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like oh, okay. Nice. It, technically, though, it wasn't a full spin. It was an oversteer moment that led him into the gravel. So it's a spin. It's, progress. It. it's a it's a spin. <laughs> I mean, Mazza oversteer doesn't work as well as Mazza spin. So. True, that's true. true. That's true. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I think with that we can move on then. Um, before we move off of the championship talk, because there were two more points I wanted to bring up uh, in relation to the championship, which was kind of obviously the dominating talking point of this weekend. Did you guys see Hamilton's post-race comments about spending so many laps behind Verstappen? He learned more about Verstappen, his driving style, and his car than he did in any of the other races that he's ever been in against Max Verstappen. Did you guys catch those comments? I did not. Yeah. No, I didn't. Really, but that's really interesting. That is. <laughs> it's it's kind of one of those ominous Lewis Hamilton quotes, like you know when he gets on the radio and says Bono tires are done. Oh, you're like, uh oh. Here well, we he go. He also said that five like five or six laps into the medium tires or something like that. So that's what I'm saying, though, right? It's like <laughs> a big cause for concern because you know something big is coming. So. Is it possibly that he learned something very valuable that he's taking to his engineers in terms of how Verstappen drives? Maybe it's something to do with tire wear, uh, what kind of racing lines he's taking. So is it? can we look at it in a very, if you're a Max fan, let's say, look at it in, in a pessimistic way to say Verstappen, he's got Verstappen figured out? Or is it just something as a driver or a fellow competitor just picking up on something saying, hmm, that's interesting the way he does it? Well, I mean... It Max could say the same about Lewis Hamilton. He's been driving behind him for four years now. So, I mean, you could say... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, it is kind of interesting because, like, I guess being behind, you definitely get to see more of the racing lines. They're taking more, right? And Red Bull is meant to be more... There Again, not, I'm not an engineer, so I'm making this up as I go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> theoretically, Red Bull cars are made to stay more planted on the ground around corners because that's, you know, they're supposed to have a really good, um, um, that word. Chassis. 
Pardon? Chassis? Yes. Um, they're supposed to have a really good chassis. So I'm just wondering if it, you know, around those corners, are the, is he just seeing wider, faster turns or more? I don't know. Like it, it's, it's, it's interesting comments because um, you definitely, you, you learn from watching other people as well. So I, it, could, it could be interesting. Maybe he learned about how he overtakes, overtakes a little bit more and that's why he sees them coming a little bit. Um, I don't know. Yeah. That championship's over. That's a scary <laughs> comment. That like that is very scary uh, that he's already noting that. So, I mean, I think it's a, it's more of a pessimistic thing saying I don't know. Lewis might have Max not figure it all the way, but he's got a good idea of how he's going to race when he's ahead of Lewis, and that could uh, really work in Lewis's favor for races to come when he's behind Max and you know trying to overtake him, just knowing where he's strong and where he isn't. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Like maybe maybe it's like you know because I just. Remembered, obviously, there was a big fight over the past weekend with Canelo Alvarez. And is it sort of like a boxer where in that first round you got a feeling out process? You don't, you, they usually, top boxers usually lose that first round. And it's just kind of a visual to see you're finally in the ring with that opponent. And then you just notice something where you're like, ah, okay, got you. I, I see you there. Every time you drop that left hand, you leave yourself open for an uppercut. You know, something like that. Maybe it's along those lines. Mm-hmm. Or it just could be that it's just something that he just picked up on that he found interesting that. Yeah, maybe Verstappen just uses more of the tires than than Hamilton does. We obviously know Hamilton is a, a king at tire preservation, and I think that Max has to drive that Red Bull a little bit more on the limit than than the W12. So it, it's very interesting. But uh, yeah, I think that uh, maybe the gauntlet has been thrown down there by by Hamilton, like you said there, Tyler. So very very interesting uh, with the championship battle shaping up, which uh, we'll we'll just wrap up on a little bit later in the show. But I wanted to move on then to. The hat that I'm wearing, of course, Daniel Ricciardo from McLaren had his best weekend for McLaren. I know he equaled his best best finish in sixth, but I think that in terms of the overall weekend, he finally outraced his teammate Lando Norris. Qualifying was much better, and then obviously uh, he seemed more comfortable in the race as well. So disappointing weekend from Norris. I think he, <laughs> there's another driver that kind of got screwed up by Mazepin in Q1, if you guys remember back to the car park in the final couple of chicanes but overall finally uh, a nice positive step for ricardo after what was a tough portuguese grand prix yeah it's awesome to see it from ricardo i thought like you mentioned chris it was his best overall weekend uh with the mclaren and we were talking about i think it was was it last week or the race before i forget which one just off the top of my head but we were talking about how uh, Ricardo's doing an interview with Sky Sports and just say, you know, he's been talking to um, to Carlos Sainz as well and just how they're adjusting uh, going into new cars for the season, how, you know, they're not just, they're not there yet. It's going to take a few races um, to really get in terms of, you know, what the breaking points and the fuels for, for the different cars. And he, he was full on very honest with that, uh, with, with Sky Sports. And I think that it was one of the weekends where you say, okay, he's, really learning the, this McLaren car and really figuring it out. So a huge positive for Ricardo and uh, he's very handy around Monaco. So I'm excited to see what he's going to do next race uh, on the street circuit. Yeah, I agree. It was a fantastic weekend from Daniel Ricardo. I was really happy to see him back in the top six. Um, it, doesn't it almost seem like a more... I know it sounds wrong saying it. More mature Daniel Ricardo. I know he's already like in his mid-30s, but like it's just like head down, I'm gonna I'm racing this weekend, you know? There's no he's come so focused on getting that everything in that car right. He's following every team instruction down to the T. Like he's just he's head down. I wanna I, I wanna I wanna compete this season. I I know McLaren has a good car. It's not about building up that car anymore like it was with Red Bull and um and and Renault, it's like McLaren knows where they are, and they know what they got to fight for. And I think he's really got, he's really gone it all in for for the for that. So yeah, I think he's recognized the seriousness of the challenge as well mm-hmm. in, in moving to a team like McLaren. And also, like you mentioned, he's in his 30s, so he kind of realizes that this is probably one of his potential last chances for uh, a big push to a championship. So he's got something very positive and special at McLaren with the whole package that they've got going on. And of course, the big rule shift coming, which could, you know, favor a team like them that's sort of right on the brink of the top two teams, but not just there yet. So I, I think overall, it was a nice step forward for him. And hopefully, like you said, uh, being in Monaco at his next race, we'll see how that suits the McLaren. But obviously, you know, a, a race that he does really well at too. 
So next thing I wanted to talk about was Ferrari. Tyler, you mentioned yeah. overtake of the race for Charles Leclerc on the outside of turn two, obviously on lap one. I would maybe throw in there Sergio Perez's overtake or Lance Stroll on Fernando Alonso, which was pretty good as well. But Ferrari and Leclerc, really good run of form heading into Monaco, which is a, a track that should suit them actually decently well, but an excellent race for them. Yeah, awesome stuff. And um, Charles was very mature the whole race, stuck with it, and you know had P4 pretty much locked down the whole race. Uh, and I know he's in P3 for a while, but you knew eventually Bautas was going to get by him. Um, so you know, it was awesome from Charles. I thought he was really, really impressive. Um, and like I, like you said, for me, it's the overtake of the weekend because of how significant it was uh, for the race, for Charles' strategy, uh, and for the whole, in general, outcome of the race uh, as well, just of... Um, you know how how much it impacted the the strategy from from uh, his side and from Bottas's side as well. And uh, you know Sky Sports was talking about how Fernando Alonso used that outside line. You know back in 2011, I think the race was uh, to get around. I forget who it was, but just because of the you know there was cleaner air on the outside. And Charles, I don't know, maybe he was watching. Maybe uh, maybe got that info in his head, and he did the exact same thing. Went along the outside, and Bottas said that he just didn't see him. Uh, which, I mean, that's not really an excuse from Valtteri. Um, it's not a valid excuse, I think, at least. So, um, no. Saying that to cover for Lewis Hamilton, too, you know? Maybe. Didn't see him. Yeah, didn't see him. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, unfortunately for, for Valtteri, it hampered his race, but no, awesome for Charles. And, and like you said, Carlos Sainz also had a, a very good race as well. So, it'll be interesting to see how they do at Monaco. Uh, maybe they can wrap up P5 and 6 for themselves. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Charles Leclerc really put his head down and just, you know, I'm I'm going to race. I know where my position is. Uh, great, great, over, great overall weekend from Charles. Um, it's it's really it's really different from how he was driving last year. From what I've seen in these first four races, I think last year they were really trying to push that that car to its limits. You know, get the most out of it as they can. And I think this year it's just been, you know, we have this car and we're gonna do we're gonna we're gonna we're going to get it to the finish line to do the best we can, basically. And I think I think that's really worked for Charles. Uh, maybe, uh, like, it's a huge car difference. So it's instead of trying to push that car to its limits, it's really more trying to keep it under control and everything, you know, keep it under control and still still make those passes when he can. Um, so it, it, really good. I'm really, really happy to see Carlos Sainz settling into that Ferrari as well. Uh, he's, you know, one of the drivers I'm looking forward to, you know, see the results of um, uh, being in that team. I think we'll see the best results at the end of the season. Um, but I'm really happy to see him making slow moving steps forward with that. Yeah, yeah, he's doing really well. And Monaco should suit them well. They said, Leclerc said that slow speed corners have been an advantage for them. So who knows? Maybe he'll be on the podium. <laughs> optimistic maybe maybe it'll just be a massive crash up front monaco can provide all, all sort of weird things you know it could either be uh, a boring race or it can be just insanity so we'll see let's hope for insanity <laughs> a little bit of rain <laughs> <laughs> i'll check it now <laughs> yeah that'd be nice all right and then a couple other points i had here was talking going further in the midfield was esteban ocon 4-0 against Fernando Alonso this year. Yeah, he's, he's really, he's he's giving it. Good for Esteban. And, uh, you know, he's one shaker over. That's huge. <laughs> I think that's, uh, really, that's a win in the season itself, is that, you know, shaker is now a fan of Esteban. I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed his race. <laughs> like, see? He had a really see? good race. Maybe I he'll come on our podcast it. now. Um, uh, I love the comment from Crofty of him with the blue flag letting Max pass. Of you know he's gotten a few fisticuffs with him a few years back. <laughs> he's learned. Love that comment from him. So yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed his race. Really good to see. Uh, always happy to see Fernando Alonso back on track. And to uh, to go back to what you said, Tyler, they were showing that twenty video of him, and then uh, uh, it was uh, Lance Stroll, uh, and it was Fernando Alonso that took him over. Uh, when he was in the Williams, and he said he was something about it's like, oh, you can't race with these cars at all. <laughs> yeah. And then it was Lance Stroll overtaking him this year on the same track at the exact same spot. And then it was them like shaking hands and laughing at the end of the race. That's nice. what it was. <laughs> I didn't see them shaking hands after yeah, the race, but was, that's good. They yeah, had a really was, good scrap, and it was yeah, really it was clean. Really 
it was really clean as well, which was nice. Like I, I didn't, don't expect anything else, but it's just, it was good, hard racing, mm-hmm. um, which was awesome to see. So, uh, no, I mean, very good from, from Esteban and I mean, Fernando, he's doing well. Um, but again, maybe it's just going to take him a few races just to get back into the formula one groove of things and these new cars and, um, no, we'll, we'll see. I, I have optimism about Fernando. He's a world two-time world champion. He can get it done. Yeah, it's not like he had a bad race. It was just that mm-hmm. Ocon just had a much better one. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would have to agree. And I mean, Alpine, it's maybe necessarily didn't have the weekend that they were hoping for, but they're kind of still ahead of Aston Martin at this point and, and Alpha Tauri as well, which just speaking of which, Alpha Tauri, I didn't have it in my notes, but it just popped into my head because I watched Team Radio before we got on for the show was I think Yuki Sonoda has to calm down a little bit. <laughs> he uh, apologized for his remarks. Um, the day of the Grand Prix, I think is when he apologized. <laughs> oh, you didn't hear this? No. Oh, Chris, what do you have happened? a quote or? Uh, I don't have the exact quote, but in that team radio, the best of team radio that F1 released, he was just very like snappy with his, I mean, you know how he is on the team radio. He loves yeah. to swear. Yeah. He's very animated. And even his race engineer was just telling him, it's like, calm down. You know, calm. Well, like, he suggested that uh, to media in the media, like in the pen after qualifying, that uh, he has a different car from Gasly and that Gasly's car is better than his. And it's like, that's something you don't say to reporters. And like, I think everyone was tweeting about it being like, I know he's a rookie, but maybe the PR team should kind of get a little, you know, handle on them just to say that, you know, you don't say that to reporters. You, you keep that in house if you think that's the issue. And, um, he apologized after, uh, the, you know, the next day for his comments. I think some sat him down and told him and, you know, obviously language or English isn't his first language, obviously. So, um, he very well though. He does speak very well, yeah. uh, English very well, but it's still, it's, it's something that, you know, he's learning and, uh, yeah, that's a, a controversial, but uh, he didn't have a good race either. Uh, unfortunately, Gasly had a good race actually, uh, coming back from his five-second penalty he had, I think, and yeah. uh, the issues he had. But did he finish P10? P10. I yeah. just had it up and I closed it. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> no, very good race from Pierre. I thought he was impressive as well. Yeah, yeah. aren't they right behind McLaren in terms of uh, their the... constructor standings? No, no, Alpha Tauri. Yeah. No, no I'm, I'm thinking of... Alpha Tauri at the moment is in sixth. They are five points ahead of Aston Martin and five points behind Alpine for fifth. So that's mm-hmm. it's kind of like a two-tier system now. you got Ferrari in fourth with 60 yeah. points, uh, McLaren in third with 65, and then you got the yeah, five, six, and seven between Alpine, Alpha Tauri, and Aston Martin really only separated by 10 points. I'm really happy to see Williams not in last place on the list. I know they are still, but just not having them at 10th feels kind of good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, George had a decent weekend. I mean, good qualifying. Latifi struggled a little bit. I'm not sure what it was, but he just, for some reason, just didn't have the the grips this weekend, which is unfortunate to see from Nicholas. But um, George struggled in the race then at the end uh, on his tires. It looks like you know he was on for a decent finish, but... Uh, the Williams strategy just didn't play in a favor. I thought they were on like I thought they had a really good strategy at first. I was like, oh crap! Like they're at one point they were seventh and eighth or something like that. Yeah. Oh crap! This is a good strategy from Williams, and they pitted again. I thought, okay, maybe that's again another good strategy if everyone's going on a two stop. But uh, no, it just didn't work out for them, unfortunately. A good call though. I mean, they were being aggressive with it. It's the most that they could do, really, right? It, it's yeah. it's not a it got a little bit windier too, so that doesn't. Yeah, the car, their car. Yeah, hates wind. It's got to be in clean air with no wind. So maybe they can try like the Sahara Desert. I don't know. Maybe their car would be phenomenal there. I mean, maybe Monaco, right? If if you're Russell, Mister Saturday, you get up yeah. there, right? Who knows? Could be. Yeah, could be. Um. All right. Well, then, just to finish out, then I think we've pretty much gone through the entire field, which is great. Uh. Well, let's talk about Mick Schumacher again, who. Another very solid race. Struggled a little bit more toward the end, but he had an exceptional start. If you guys have a chance, maybe if you have F1 TV, check it out on that, or if you can find it on YouTube, I'm sure it's there. But he had a phenomenal start. I think he was running as high as 16th or 15th 
after the first uh, opening couple of laps. And then afterwards, his race kind of got a little bit complicated. I only saw this actually post-race uh, on social media, so we'll show this to you guys here as well. If uh, you maybe happen to have missed it, he had some pit stop mishaps when he was coming in. I believe this was for his first stop. So he just kind of, I think pretty much every driver's done this in their F1 career, just kind of overshot his box a little bit. And I think he missed it uh, kind of when you see this reverse angle almost hit his guys over on that right hand side too, because he didn't come in cleanly, which is, it's not that easy actually to come in straight because it's on an angle. Or I guess I'll play the team radio here. Is everybody okay? Sorry about that. It's all okay. Reset, big adjuster. Everyone's okay. Reset, big adjuster. So thankfully, everybody was okay. And we saw afterwards, I, I wonder who Mick learned this from going around to his team and building the chemistry and, you know, building good relationships with this team. It reminds me of somebody, but I just can't think of who. Nikita? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe with a couple of uh, dollar bills, maybe. I'm not sure. but <laughs> So, yeah, Mick went around afterwards in, in the garage and kind of, you know, obviously gave, gave everybody a, a fist bump and a handshake and apologized to some of the pit crew member. And I think toward the end of this video, you'll see him. I believe Rob was the name of the mechanic that was holding the front jack. And you'll see him uh, come up to him shortly. And they'll, <laughs> they have a very nice, wholesome embrace. And, of course, no love or, excuse me, no hard feelings or anything like that. They understand that. It was just a, a rookie mistake. And then, yeah, this is when uh, the front Jackman right there, <laughs> happy to see him. So it's just great to see that Mick is making a real effort to to build a, a nice team around him, even though Haas is struggling. It was a really nice catch by the uh, by Rob, the front Jackman, because uh, he's coming in hot and he stayed on his feet, you know, quick feet, got ready to go, caught that car up, jacked up. Uh, it was really nice by him, actually. And I really love how, like it seemed like they were communicating as the pit stop was going on, and like the the jackman is one hand. He's like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm good, and like lets the jack go with one hand, and it was really cool to see. I thought that was fun. Yeah, I mean, what what a gesture, you know? Like you obviously haven't had the greatest start to the season, but uh, you, you know, like I I just love his entire persona. Just like the super nice guy on the grid, you know, everybody likes him. Nope, nobody hates Mick. Yeah. And, you know, it makes, you know, he's accidents happen, obviously, and I'm sure the mechanics know of it, but just to go out of your way and be like, hey, man, I'm really sorry about that. You know, like just it's just that that gesture adds quite a lot to those mechanics. And, you know, they they they, they probably they want to do they want to perform for Mick. You know, it's not like, hey, man, I'm sorry I almost hit you over, but, you know, you better watch out. <laughs> you got to watch out. <laughs> It's a good point that you bring up, though, right? Like, he's giving them motivation and what's a yeah. really difficult season for them and where they know themselves they're not going to be getting many results this year. So I think it makes everybody, at least on his side of the garage, excited to go into work and potentially seeing the development of a, a future world champion. And, and if not, at least a very good driver and, of course, an exceptional young man. And it's, it's just surprising how, of course, the name that he carries with him and the history and everything that comes with it, but you just one of the most humble guys that you'll ever see enter formula one and just genuinely nice. Oh yeah. It was awesome. Sam, like you mentioned shaker. Um, I don't think anyone, uh, you know, doesn't like, uh, doesn't like, uh, Mick. I mean, just a wholehearted fan favorite. And I think he's going to be a fan favorite for years to come. Just one with the name that helps too, but just of how nice the guy is and, you know, how much he cares about, uh, but everyone is awesome. So it'll be nice to see when fans are back in, how he, you know, interacts with fans and stuff like that. But it seems like just a good guy learned a lot uh, from his dad, obviously on how to uh, bring up team morale and, and really just bring everyone together. So no, awesome to see from Mick. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that puts a wrap on the 2021 Spanish Grand Prix, not a classic, but definitely an important round to the 2021 world championship. And we head next to Monaco for the first time since 2019 it's going to be nice to be back for for the Monaco Grand Prix. Yeah, and if if people are going to say, "Well, there's no overtaking in Monaco," I I assure you, if you want to see some overtaking in Monaco, go watch the Formula E race uh, at Monaco this last weekend. It was phenomenal. There's some really really nice overtakes. Uh, both like cars just lunging it in there, uh, making some really nice uh, overtakes to the S's going uphill. Um, 
it was a fantastic race to watch. So if you want to see, you know, get a little teaser, I know there's no racing next weekend for F1. So maybe, you know, you could queue it up on Sunday and just make sure you don't look at the results <laughs> um, when watch the race. It was a, an awesome race to watch. So hopefully the Formula E race translate to the F1 race and we see lots of overtaking in Monaco. Yeah, at the very least, we could just get a repeat of Verstappen-Hamilton in 2019. That mm. will be even more scintillating with the championship now on the line. Of course, it's a 14-point lead for Hamilton heading into Monaco. Max minimized the damage with that fastest lap. Obviously, it would have been nice if he would have gotten Portugal as well, because I believe it would have been only a 13-point lead. But it's it looks good for now, for now for Mercedes. I think that even though this has been a Red Bull track, uh, Monte Carlo, of course, I think Mercedes are going to be the favorites for pole here. I do think that the, this will suit the W12, and definitely in the race, obviously, pole position is so important. But just in terms of watching the tires, I think that's going to favor Hamilton, and we know how good he is, of course, in Monaco as well. So just a final thoughts, and then we'll finish with the Grosjean story. Did this first four races change your guys' championship outlook? Because when we started this in Bahrain, it looked like, yeah, you know, Red Bull and Verstappen, they've got the fastest car. We can say now, after four races, in qualifying, looks about even. I think maybe Red Bull's just a little bit faster in qualifying. But in the race trim, it does seem like Mercedes are faster, friendlier to the tires as well. Something about Red Bull just not liking those harder compound tires, especially the C1 and the C2. But like you mentioned, Tyler, a couple of minutes ago about being, if you want to be really pessimistic and say this championship is done. (laughs) He's not wrong. It's true, right? I mean, because history, obviously, seven years of domination, and well, Hamilton was is just phenomenal with, with what he's able to do in his car. The scary thing is, Chris, is that this is the best start Hamilton's had to any season. I know. Well, I think this is <laughs> like, the best Hamilton has ever driven, and he yeah. has seven world championships. There's no better start to the season than seeing, like, I'm super invested in this now, and I, I'm not a fan of Hamilton, but I'm so interested now. His drives have been amazing, man. They've been yeah. on another level. We've seen, we've seen Lewis Hamilton hold down first, but like he the the sheer will to 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 make up times, manage those tires, and still come out the best every single race. It's it's just an entire new, entirely new level for Lewis Hamilton. I think he's just getting better and better with age. I agree with you. Like, I'm obviously not part of the Lewis Hamilton fan club either, but yeah. it's just like, geez, like he's so good in that car. And this season will be the final question of obviously. I mean, I've hyped up Max Verstappen saying that he could probably beat Lewis in the same car as well, but we'll get our answer this year. But certainly, I think Red Bull have their work cut out for them because not only what you mentioned, Tyler, but this being his best start. Somebody posted this on, on Twitter, and I saw this that. Remember in 2018 when he was in the midst of the battle with Vettel and Ferrari, the funny thing is is that he won the same amount of races in 2018 that he did in 2019, even though in 2019 they had a far better car, and you remember that season was a complete walkover, and basically the comment in the thread was that Hamilton just drives way better when the competition is brought up a level yep. or two, and yep. he's done that his entire career, so... Obviously, it's it's not that much of a surprise to see him excel even further. And he's motivated, and you can see he's a lot more uh, emotional on team radio in terms of him, you know, screaming and being loud, whereas the last couple of years it's kind of been like, yep, yeah, I know, I won. All right, on to the next one. You know, now he's, like, really invested in it, and it's gotten us even more invested in the, in the battle between the two. So it, it's not over by a long shot. It's only round four going into round five, and there's plenty of... You know, difficult tracks for Mercedes as well, especially when we get into the summer with the hotter conditions. And then, of course, Red Bull could bring some upgrades as well. So don't go anywhere just yet. But <laughs> I think that Red Bull and Verstappen have their work cut out for them. Yeah, I, I honestly, I've been excited for the other seasons. Um, I was super, way more excited than for this season with with the level that Red Bull was was bringing. But just the, this this competition that started between Lewis Hamilton and it's a proper one where like, you know, before it was just for first place. Now it's every race. It's a proper competition between Max and Lewis. And I think it's just this season is one to watch if you want to see a rivalry being, being made because that's, you know, it's seven-time world champion, you know, end of his career. Uh, not end of his career. I could see Lewis Hamilton. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. 
<laughs> I, I can put that to bed because uh, Lewis and Toto are trying to sign a yep. two-year Mercedes deal before yep. the summer break. Oh, yeah. So that's not. Yeah, I, I'm glad I. Could, I'm glad you caught me and I caught myself there. But yeah, it's it's. An, I don't think Lewis. I I, I might. I said it last year at the end of the season that you know this might be the, the last year we see Lewis Hamilton in F1. After these first four races, if I don't see Lewis Hamilton in F1 le- next year, it, it's going to be a shock. And he's. It's entirely like. He he's he's raising his level every single season, and uh, like you said, if if he if he performs better with more competition, I, I think within you know with this rule change that happens uh, next year, and you know the levels are changed again, I think Lewis Hamilton is going to be even better. Like, yeah, no, better. No, I would agree, and yeah, <laughs> it, like I don't think obviously he's not going anywhere. The two-year deal is most likely going to happen uh, within the next few months that uh, that'll be signed and confirmed and official. So two more years of Lewis after this year. And uh, no, that's, that's good for the sport because I think I just want to touch on this quickly. It, it, we were, I was watching a, a local Canadian show and they were talking how F1 has really um, popularized through the Netflix series around the world. And just for numbers here in Canada, uh, the Portuguese Grand Prix was the most watched Grand Prix ever in Canadian history at 500,000. Uh, that's a lot for that's Canada. Lot. Yeah. Um, that goes up there with some of the, you know, like watching, you know, the Masters or or numbers for, uh, a, you know, a big hockey game or whatever. Um, so that's very impressive numbers. The Spanish Grand Prix numbers, I think it was like 350,000 Canadians watch it live, um, which is, again, very up there and a, a lot a lot of viewers for f1 we haven't seen numbers like this just here in canada uh, ever before so it's awesome to hear obviously it helps there's two canadians on the grid but i think this netflix series has really uh, popularized uh, f1 to a new level um and you know the fact that lewis can you know grow his brand with that as well is very important for him uh, in his long-term you know goal and with more people he can touch with his messages uh, which i know are very important to lewis uh, the better. So it makes sense for him to sign a two-year deal. And, uh, and I'm glad to see Lewis still in F1. I think he brings a lot to the sport, um, a lot of eyes, and just, you know, the the talent that people can admire with, with Lewis is pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the drivers that was able to sit in Lewis's seat recently was Roman Grosjean. And we're going to finish this podcast with some good news, the feel-good story of 2021 and if you case you guys missed it Roman Grosjean will be getting an outing in the Mercedes W10 later on this year actually just a couple months time from now in June at the 2021 French Grand Prix he will do a demo run on the race day on Sunday and then he'll actually get a full test day on Monday at the circuit Paul Ricard of course with the full Mercedes team being there so he's running the 2019 world championship winning car that won both drivers and constructors world titles and you could just see the photos and, of course, some of the shots from Grosjean's seat fit earlier this year at the Mercedes factory, just how happy he is. But we have to commend Mercedes and, and Total Wolf and whoever else was involved in that decision-making, especially in the midst of a battle like they're on right now against Red Bull to allocate resources and, I'm sure, money and time to give Grosjean a nice farewell in Formula One is is quite remarkable. And really, I can't think of anything in the history of Formula One that's been done like this you know, we've seen big crashes before, but to to give somebody a proper goodbye like this is something I can't say I've ever seen before, but it's amazing that we're seeing it. Yeah, it is very, very cool. Um, and something that uh, you have to give, like you said, props to Mercedes for doing it. And I think it just has to do with, you know, how, you know, Grosjean is such a good guy and they hated to see his last race um, end like that. So it's interesting. I don't know why, like, I don't get the te- whole, why they're calling it a test because it's the, 2019 car so i don't know how, what he's testing um but i just i'm just happy the fact that he has to go out and you know in front of his home crowd in france um to go on a nice demo run and then like you said the, the test session um that will be happening in uh on monday and you know he's he's impressing me in indycar so far this season if you are wondering what's happening with roman grosjean he's racing in indycar uh only on the road courses which i don't blame him and um, you know he's been racing pretty well for starting to get his grip, starting to get a grip on things in IndyCar, a completely different series, different car. Um, he's been racing very well, so awesome to see from Roman. And 
uh, I've been cheering for him in IndyCar. I think you, uh, hopefully you can win a race this year. Oh, absolutely. And like you said, it's a feel-good story of the year. Um, even my friends who aren't F1 fans, you know, just telling them that story and, you know, the entire background, they were like, oh, my God, like what, what, you know, what team is going to allow a retired race car driver to come back and be like, hey, you never got to finish, you know, you never got to race in your last F1 uh, last F1 race or drive an F1 car by your own rules. So you know what? Come back, have a drive. You get the full day to yourself. We're not going to give you just one lap. You get the full day, drive an F1 car, you know, and a championship winning car, not even your old car, a car <laughs> that's, you know, faster than anything else on the grid, drive it to your heart's contempt and, you know, leave F1 on a good note rather than the memory of a, like a really bad car crash, you know? I just mad respect for Toto and Mercedes for that one. I think it'd be cool. You know, maybe Lewis gets the flu. You can't race. <laughs> Roman has to go in the car. I'm not going to lie. Poor <laughs> Stoffel Van Dorn gets, you know, gets shafted again. Poor Stoffel. But, uh, but did you guys notice the just, convenient, yeah. convenient hand covering yeah. of the race suit? <laughs> Yeah, they had Van Dorn. Actually, Van Dorn's been racing really well in Formula E. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he, might, he might be winning a championship there. Um, but um, no, I just poor, poor. I mean, that would suck for a Stoffel, but it'd be awesome to see. Just you know, nothing serious for Lewis. Just a you know, a flu. We can't you know, we can't go and um, and oh, it'd be nice to see Roman you know, get a race win. Yeah, in a, in a Mercedes. <laughs> I don't know. I just it, you feel good stories. You want that for Nico Hulkenberg too, and um, you just want to see that for the, the good guys of the sport that kind of didn't get their chance to shine. I know Roman has podiums and stuff, but. Um, just all around good guy. Just, yeah. just being able to part ways with the sport on his own terms, right? I mean, I, I think uh, I, I could just relate it to somebody else, a, a recent horrific injury that we saw, which was Chris Weidman in the UFC. Oh. And, you know, at 36 years old, suffering a, a leg break like that, for anybody, let alone a professional fighter, it's not looking good as a return to being able to do what he was doing before. But the reason why even now he's talking about the fact that he wants to fight again is yeah, he most likely won't be champion once again, but to be able to go out on his own terms, like, you know, Anderson Silva did, for example, who had a similar injury, I think that's what's important to these athletes is you don't want that, you know, being down on the canvas or in Grosjean's case, being in a fireball to be your final <laughs> memories of the sport. So you, you guys said it really well and just beautiful stuff from, from Mercedes and, and anybody else who was involved in the organization with that. So excellent. I'm- We'll say just, oh, sorry, Shaker. I was going to say, especially with those, you know, nice guy athletes, like you and I met Chris Weidman, right? (laughs) Yeah, that was, I forget (laughs) to text you about that, but yeah, we did. Do do you still have that photo? I don't know. I'll have to check. I feel like I do, but yeah, Chris, there was a UFC event back here in 2017, 2016, uh, Chris and I just went to go check it out and we were literally just walking around the (laughs) arena, like not even like looking for anything we were just walking around checking out the event and out walks chris weidman <laughs> like that's sweet. Just like I'll... walking around he's like he's like oh my god chris like that's chris weidman i'm like oh shit and we're like hey man like could we get a picture and he's like yeah for sure but like you gotta walk with me though like i gotta i gotta go to like a signing booth so like i just don't have time so like just walk and talk with me guys like i'm just gonna go over there and like we literally for five like five seven minutes walk with chris weidman to his like signing booth that's so cool i was at that that event that day and was debating going to the weidman um signing booth to get something signed and i just didn't go um, but that's oh, yeah, wild was, that you guys were there accompanying him. I didn't, I didn't really do that. We had no, like, it was just so random, dude. Yeah. Like Chris and I had just walked out of the event. We were just looking at merch and just kind of walking around, checking out the event and, you know, out walks Chris Weidman. But like, just to see, you know, nice guys like in that sport to get their, you know, final right out there on their own terms is just, is, is really, is really good to see. Yeah, it's awesome stuff. And and before we wrap up, another feel-good story. Tyler, you were talking about IndyCar. Of course, Canadian IndyCar driver or former IndyCar driver Robert <laughs> Wickens is also back uh, in a race car. We saw him earlier this week. Actually, he was in a Hyundai. I think it was one of those Veloster-type race cars with uh, hand controls. So, of course, back in 2018, he had a very serious crash as well, and he's still in the recovery process. So to see him back in a race car was phenomenal to see as well so a lot of feel-good stories in the past week or so that was my that was what i was going to transition to was the robert wickens thing. oh were so, you nice okay. job yeah so that's fantastic good, good job good. chris uh, yeah awesome to see him canadian uh, but uh awesome to see him back in a car at least i know he's still recovering and 
um, you know, working on his moving his legs. If those who didn't know, he was uh, paralyzed from the waist down, uh, but is recovering from, like, has some movement now. I don't know. It, it's hard to, I don't know the full story to give you the full details, um, but a very, very nasty crash and uh, awesome to see him back in a car. Yep. And awesome to have you guys tonight for this episode. I think we really did a great job of covering everything in the Spanish Grand Prix and a little bit more as well. So uh, I think we're really starting to nail down <laughs> these uh, these race recaps and, and race debriefs. So, uh, yeah, thank you guys very much uh, for your insight tonight. And uh, we're looking forward to next weekend, or excuse me, the ne- next couple weekends from now in Monaco. It should be, should be very interesting. Yeah, I'm excited. Monaco always gets people you know, up and ready. Um, everyone loves uh, loves the Monaco Grand Prix and we're going to try and do a live stream I believe for qualifying as well um, so make sure you guys tune in for that uh, so we can you know um, have some fun watching Monaco qualifying it's one of the most exciting days of the calendar and I uh, can't wait to be there Chris you've been to Monaco just what's I know you know it's hard with with no fans I'm not sure if there's any fans at Monaco this year um, I think there will be some yeah okay but just like, what's what's the atmosphere like you've been to the Monaco Grand Prix um it must just be you know, a complete surreal experience uh, just with the whole scenario. Yeah, surreal is a good word. It's almost like uh, it's, it's a weird way to explain it because when you're there, you don't really believe that you're there because you see it so much in pictures and, and obviously on TV that you kind of don't really believe that you're there. But when you leave, you're like, holy shit. You know, you were there in, in Monaco. So, yeah, it's an amazing place. Obviously, um, you know, maybe when, when we're on the live stream, I can maybe give people a little bit more details of how things look. Uh, maybe I can post some of the pictures that I took back in the day. But it, it, it's really amazing. And, and just to see the atmosphere at that time and when there was a ton of fans there as well. And you, you get a really good sense when you get to walk the track afterwards of just how narrow it is when you think of how wide these modern cars are. But, you know, seeing the, the infamous casino section and the tunnels and things like that, it's, it, it shows you why Monaco stays on the calendar, even though it's not the most exciting race of the year. It's something about it, the tradition, the, the spectacle of it. It's just something really, really special. So I'm glad that it's back this year on the calendar, whether it's fans or no fans. But qualifying for Saturday, which hopefully we'll get to do that live stream for, was really the most important session of the year for qualifying. So it should be a really, really good one for that. All right. Well, that will do it for episode 105 of the Backmarkers F1 show. If you made it this far, thank you very much for listening and watching to our podcast. Of course, if you haven't done so already, give this video a thumbs up and also subscribe to our channel on YouTube, on Spotify. Excuse me. We also got our alternative platforms like odyssey.com if you want to follow us there. And of course, we got all of our social media links down in the description below. For Shaker Barty and Tyler McDonald, I've been Chris Cato. Thank you again for all your support. Until next time, bye for now and have yourselves a great week.